0: Good morning. How are you? It's still cool in here. This is great. So you guys can stay longer for a longer service? Just a heads up, I do have like, I think, nine points today, so (laughs) get ready. Um, Because I have a lot to cover, um, let's pray and we'll we'll get started. God, we thank you so much for your grace, your mercy, God. And God, as we just cry out to you like that last song said, God, we're going to right out and we're going to praise how good you are and who you are. God, thank you that you have been that in our life. Um, and I just look back at the last two years of what you've done in our life no matter what is happening about it, that you have been so close. Um, showing us things we need to see, God, being with us in every step, protecting us, God, and walking with us. We love you. God, as we talk about thriving today, God, for some of us, God, who may be just feeling stagnant in an area of our life, God, maybe just surviving in a way, um, God, I ask that you just inspire our hearts to thrive, God, that there is more. You've called us and made us for more. And so, God, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're new here, you don't feel like you haven't missed uh, the whole series and you're going to be lost. What we decided to do is we took this topic of thriving. What does it look like to thrive as a community? And we have to realize this, that from the very, up, very beginning, God created us to thrive, created us to experience life and experience life to its fullest in his Presence, right, and so we know life happens, circumstances happen, things happen that will pull our course off uh, from striving after God and then get caught up in the circumstances. But listen, God made us to thrive even when it's difficult. How many of you in here can say I have been through difficulty and I had to push through to trust God through the difficulty? Right? You're in a room full of others who experience experienced this just like you. And I think that no matter what crisis, God has called us to thrive and not just survive. Our serious passage is John 10.10. It says the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come, Jesus said, that you may have life and have it abundantly. And I love those two words. And I'll say it again. Life, in a way, it's this... Life that he's talking about is active, vigorous, right? It's sustained by God. Last week we talked about that that this life is backed by God. The promises that he has for us as believers is backed by his character, by his goodness. We said last week it's like this a currency, like a, a currency, like we said the U.S. currency is the standard all around the world, and if you can get anything, get that currency, no matter what happens around you that currency is usually good. That, by God, your life and of living abundantly, abundantly, again, means beyond our expectations. It, it's interesting when you put limitations on somebody, they usually will meet the limitations, right? They'll at least know that that's where the line has been set for their life and will stay within those limitations. It can happen in upbringing. It can happen even like a coach will set them uh, an expectation or a limitation, and usually that player will just rise to that. It could be in a culture. But God says that beyond any expectation, beyond any kind of boundary is has been placed God, wants you to live abundantly, beyond what you thought was possible. This topic today, I think why Different. Uh, it can start with the toothpaste, it can go to the toilet paper, how you put it on, and it can be to how clean you are. You realize all those very basic things, but there might even be that more you realize it's different, and maybe some way you view life or even some values can be different. It, it's funny, I do a ton of pre marriage counseling and even pre engagement counseling. And you know, one of the best things you can try to do is at least go, let's get your core values and let's see how they line up. And there's values that are different, right? One might vote Democrat, one might vote Republican, doesn't mean it will end the relationship. There are some core values that must be in lockstep with each other, though I think to help that relationship thrive. In a way, we'll see differences and we have conflict, and then all of a sudden we have to figure That out. Relationships are very, very tricky. How about with kids? You first have your little cute baby, and it's so sweet, your child, and it can do no wrong, and it says a word, and you're like, it's a genius. It's a genius. (laughs) Have you heard my baby talk? Look at how many steps it's taking at one, or even earlier, right? We, We tend to do this. But when they become teenagers, you're like, God. Why did not you send me that way? Like, you know, we, we will struggle in that way because the conflict is happening, the thinking is different, the raising them is different, and it, it's a new, they're not my sweet little baby anymore. Adult family members, I didn't have this when I was young, but as I got older and I started seeing, even my brothers and I, like, as adults, we don't punch and fight anymore. That's how we resolve conflict. Uh, but as adults, it's like our relationships became more. We to work at them to keep those relationships and, or further those friends, etc. Right? We enter into things, but then conflict arises. How do we handle conflict? Because that will really show us, like, okay, it's the, the journey and the road to thriving is going to be conflict. So I. I I, uh, titled this message, Thriving Relationships. And I would say relationships, if you look at them in general, they're investments. Think about your kids, think about your friendships, think about your spouse. Everything is an investment. You cannot continue to deposit into that account or it will only be a withdrawal over time it will become empty. I would say this about relational investment. We, Ann and I were hanging out with some friends from the church, and they're they're really intentional about date night. Ann and I were very intentional about date night until the pandemic, because we're like, we can't go out to eat. This is weird. And then we were out with them, and they're like, oh, when is your guys' date night? I and mean, we kind of both were like, we haven't done that in a while. Even just, it just kind of, just like over time, like, wait, wait, are we investing in our relationship? And just that little challenge of like, oh, that's an investment. It's hard, but it's an investment to do it. Grows your relationship. Relationships are investment. This is the thing we have to realize before we get into this. The need of the message is that in Christ, like there is perfect humanity in Christ. I, I would say it this way: Christ perfected humanity. The way he walked, what he did, perfect humanity. And I would say that. There's a process that we're all called to enter into called sanctification, that is walking toward the way Christ walked and trying to be as much like Christ as we can. But I would say this when we look at our life and we see that in relation with it, if there's dysfunction in relationship, all that is saying is that that's a part of a broken humanity that needs repair, needs change. And so when we're confronted with when it rises up and we can recognize that Christ is going, let me work with this. Walk in my ways and let's work through this and bring this to health. I think dysfunction is definitely a sign that we need more Christ in our life. Now, some dysfunction is deposited within you as you grew up. Some of it we've learned. Some of it can be cultural. But at the end of the day, dysfunction in in a way it says it's need to hang on to Christ more. He is the answer for humanity and how we would live and thrive. I would say this. As Christians, we're led into this process of sanctification. When you said, I want to be a believer, did you notice that Jesus did stop everything that was negative in your life and behavior instantly? He inspired you to want more. There was conviction the Spirit to say, not so much here, but let's, let, let's point this towards Christ and how you want. But he didn't all of a sudden just make you a walking, talking of the Spirit in all ways, and everyone is like, wow, that's perfected humanity. I know you may think that, and you can tell your yourself that all you want your perfected humanity, but it is not the case. But when you enter into relationship with Christ, he then said, let's go on a journey. And that journey is a long, long journey of sanctification, of ultimately, at the end of the day, looking more and more like Christ, I would say. And, and I think this is true, the, the, the definition of it would be the process of looking like Jesus is that. But, re, but relationships in general, why so many people will just sustain and maintain and not seek to thrive, we might have lost track of what gifted is to be in relationship. Adam, when he was created, he's like, I want someone to. And God's like, it's not good for you to be alone. It's not good for us to be alone. It's not. We're meant for relationship, and God's primary connection with us is in relationship with us. God is all about it. But I would say these relationships are a gift, and the deeper the relationship gets, the more conflict presents itself. Maybe not figure this out there. The closer you get, the more trusting with this person you get, the more scary it gets to be vulnerable and honest and open as we're connecting in relationships, seeking to thrive, the more conflict sometimes can arise, the more sensitivity to it. But we do have our way to thriving through conflict. Therapy would say, maybe Sarah, right? Therapy would say this isn't, in a way, a conflict. It's an opportunity. Yeah, it's a reframe of it. Like it's like a positive way to look at it. Like actually, this is a, an obstacle that when you overcome it, it's actually an opportunity on the other side. Now you, who have supreme athletes, but most of you are right, you would know. And when you reach this degree of difficulty, and it's difficult and you climb over the other end, or you're through the other side, you gain something. It's an opportunity for your growth. It reveals so much that you need sanctification, when you enter into conflict into a relationship, because it will expose things. Listen, when I argue with anyone, and I love to, well, I used to love to argue. I used to call it debating, but it was really arguing. and. It 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 showed me so much about how I would engage in conflict. I you angels are so perfect. I'm not like this anymore as much. I've worked on this a lot. I have had to bring through it, but man, I love a good verbal conflict. Oof, it's so fun. And uh, <laughs> I, I trained in the pits for that. And but you know God had worked on that it took me like these are very unhealthy in your life. When I became a believer, that didn't all disappear. The sanctification process began so I could have thriving, meaningful relationships. It's our unrenewed thinking. That set the mind and the Spirit is peace, life, and peace. And I think that we can say that. Like, where the Spirit has led us, where He has convicted us, where He has challenged us, where we see in Scripture, where the Spirit speaks to us through the word, It leads to life and peace. But when we live according to the flesh, whatever we want to do in the moment, at what our desire is, we can find that sometimes that often is living to, will produce death in relationships. I think sanctification at work displays the fruit of the Spirit. And displaying the fruit of the Spirit always contributes to thriving relationships in our life. Let me read the Galatians 5 passage, verse, uh, verse 22, chapter 5. It says, "But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, uh, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. Verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If we are choosing to live by the Spirit, manifest the fruit of the Spirit, let's be in step with the Spirit as we do it. So let's look at these Fruits of the Spirit, which I think contribute greatly to a thriving relationship. I thought about teaching different categories of relationship. I thought, you know what, we're also diverse in relationships. Let's look at the foundations of a thriving relationship. I personally believe living growth, outgrowth of the Fruits of the Spirit will contribute to any thriving relationship. Love is the first one. Love, throughout scripture, is foundational to a thriving relationship, love. Now, that makes sense to you, right? Of course, we are going to love someone. But there's this love that we have to realize that it is the cornerstone of all relationships. It's the cornerstone of our relationship with you, is love. Love sets the pace. Love is what will endure help you endure through so many things. Love is the vision. It's the foundation of our relationship with God. John 4.16 4, says this, and so we know and rely on the love of God, or the love he has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. That's a God is But he did it because of his religious beliefs of the Seventh-day. Venice, believed in not uh, engaging in uh, in warfare. But he was there to be a medic. And it was a hard go for him. And the thing about his score I really like is he won in another war, It was beautiful for love. That's what drove him. These men were not kind to them. They were not nice. But it was his it was love for them that drove him to go and rescue them when their backs were visible or injured. They worked tirelessly all night to save 75 people. He kicked a grenade away. He had 75 fragments from exploding to save his troops and in his body. He was shot by a sniper rescuing one guy. He ends up coming home, loses a lung. He has to remove ribs. He has surgery after surgery after surgery throughout his life, a life that he was sparred by the love that he had for, even in that case, his enemies. I respect people like that suffered in love too. But love was the vision. Love carried him. And love will drive you to go further than you ever thought you could go. First Peter 4, 8 says this above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Love can look past someone's flaws or their unredeemed areas of their life. Love can see more. It has the vision. Martin Luther King, Jr. said this, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. Nothing can do that but love. Love is a very, very powerful for a thriving relationship. Love must be its cornerstone, so we must lean on love. The second one here is joy. Now, I think joy maybe is not defined quite well in church culture. Joy can be maybe an emotional expression. but Joy is a lot more than that. Joy." It's purely from God. There's enough joy. I read this commentary uh, uh, of the scholars that there's enough joy in God to sustain your joy. And I never really thought, I'll be honest with you, I don't think about God full of joy. Did you ever think about God that way? He's full of joy. There's enough joy in God to sustain your joy. Joy is gladness. And its ability to sustain your gladness. Now, can you be joyful in crisis? Yes. Can you be joyful in it words? Absolutely. We see models all throughout scripture. People are joyful in even their suffering. Psalm 16 11 says this, You make known to me the path of life. And here we go. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are the pleasures of Joy is an incredible expression of God. thank you so much for what I have, not God, I'm angry about what I don't have. It's it's, it's a great place to be, and it's a great perspective to have, God is fully in and sustaining your joy in any circumstances. That adds to a thriving relationship. So the grass doesn't suddenly become greener on the other side. You learn to celebrate, Peace is the other part of the Spirit. And I would say this, peace. There's a lot of fuel there that drives us apart. Romans 12, 18, it says, If possible, if possible, Paul says, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Our, our relationships will thrive when we live peaceably. And it will take you to strive for peace. Being a peacemaker. I was talking with this guy, it was so interesting, we were. Uh, I was telling this couple of this last week uh, after we had a, 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 a protest and rioting that was happening down in Long Beach. Uh, and we, me and a, a few other pastors from the area were just going through neighborhoods and just loving up people. And I ended up walking with them. I was like, oh, really? So I wanted to find out some scripts. He goes, yeah. They first didn't let me march because when his organizers met, they said, okay, so if you're walking and someone throws something at you or punches you, what are you going to do? He goes, I'm going to punch him back. And they're like, we can't do this. And there's so they didn't let him march. And he was really upset. He ended up coming back and helping another like, march because he realized what was happening. We are going somewhere. We are there's something bigger than what is around us. We're Contention around us. We're going to take the fuel right out of contention. That is being a peacemaker. We must strive to be peacemakers in our relationships. Patience. Patience is the endurance of holding your ground. Have you ever thought about that? Not being stubborn. Sticking to your ground. Being Just holding fast. Anchoring to God in patience. It's especially today, and I would say more now than any time ever in the history of the world, our culture is conditioned in patience. How long have you waited in the grocery store line where the cashier is talking to the person in front of you for maybe five seconds, ten seconds, and you're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> have you ever waited for a long time, maybe ten minutes, and you're thinking, uh, this is unbelievable, and you're talking to people like, is this unbelievable? We're very geared to be patient, we're patient when it comes to holding on, holding on in relationships, relationship, holding fast. Let's not cast off our friends so quickly, let's be patient through some stuff that they may need to work through, or we need to work through, or our relationships in our personal life, our home life, and beyond. James 1.9 says this, Know this, my brother, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. The slow to anger is easier for me to the Slow to speak is not so easy. My kids tell me all the time at the dinner table when I start talking everyone's like, oh, I have to work on this, but we're in relationship with each other and we're building up special in conflict. It's being slow to be quick to hear. I want to hear you. I don't really need you to hear me right now. In James, it's interesting, James has considered patience, this uh, being willing to listen, as, as actually one of the most fundamental things of Christian growth. The writer of James this was his. Patience, right? Leo Tolstoy, one of the greatest writers of all time, and he would say, multiple Nobel Prize winners said this, two, the two most powerful warriors are patience and time. It's powerful when we can be patient so if you're on so quickly, but relationships are worse that you will thrive in those you must work in this and remain patient. Kindness Kindness is compassion in action. That's kindness. We don't typically link kindness with compassion. But it's exactly what it is in this definition in Greek. It is compassion. And so, when you look at this, and kindness, I love this oh, oh man, did I lose the I didn't put down the name reference, but in some chapter in the Bible in verse 32 <laughs> it says i what? Is it behind me? I deleted it out of my notes. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another as God Christ has forgiven you. What a standard. As God has forgiven you, be kind to one another. That's a standard. Right? And how hard is it to, to, to go? How easy is it to... Be forgiven this great debt. I I have this conversation with myself all the time, and others, I feel like I'm sounding very weird here. Am I sounding weird? No. It's just me. All of this is just me. It's not It's me. (laughs) And so, it. (laughs) 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 I can talk about it (laughs) very loud. Okay. I think for me, though, in a way, of being it, when we look at how much God's forgiveness, and then how easy it is to hold someone else to a standard we will not let ourselves be healthy. It, it's it's just unjust, you know? Jesus had very strong words about that type of behavior, about kindness compassion and action, and we need it in our relationships. I would say this Peter in in, in a great story in the Bible, in the middle in the middle of that was this Chaos going on. Judas is just betraying Jesus. Jesus is being pulled off. Peter pulls out a sword and cuts a man's ear off. An innocent guy. He's like, my boss told me to get this guy. Cuts his ear off. And Jesus says this to him. He says, no more with this. We he touched the man's ear and he healed. Him. That's compassion action. In the midst of being taken away, Jesus is thinking, how do I help? Now, in a relationship with this conflict, right, we're not necessarily thinking, first when we think of it combatively, we're like, okay, you're me, and I've got to find you, and we've got all these tools in the war chest, right, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to I'm gonna, find you. But Jesus is saying, this is not how we, we live an abundant life, I'm about health and healing Goodness is seeing You're like, look, babe, I did the dishes! And she's like, that's so good. I'm just like, telling I'm good. Okay, I did it. I'm good, right? But goodness is beyond that. Goodness is, we no one is looking. Goodness is a way that we live. David recognized this being God. And said, God, your goodness is everywhere. Your goodness is towards me. It's who you are. And so this is what David said. And I think we can ask the same thing. Psalms 19.68. You are good and do good. Teach me your strategies. You are good and do good. You seek to do good in your relationship. You seek to serve in our relationship. And our relationships will begin to thrive. Three more. Faithfulness. Faithfulness creates dependability. I can depend on you because you're faithful. You're consistent. It builds trust being faithful and consistent, knowing what someone can rely on for. How good is your word? How faithful are you? It creates the ability for someone to depend on you. We depend on God because we measure his character and we look on everything. And we want to walk in that type of faithfulness as well. It will increase our relationships trust the more faithful we are and it will increase the intimacy of the relationship the connection that happens. Proverbs 3 3 says this, let not st- sorry, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you bind them around your neck, write them on a tablet on your heart let faithfulness be a part of your life, wear it write it on your heart, let it be who you are I think when faithfulness is most difficult, it's most necessary. When it becomes hard to be faithful. And I'm not talking about just in a marriage context of faithful in, in a way, maritaly or being unfaithful I'm talking that as well, but beyond that. Like being a faithful person or someone who can depend on you when times are hard and difficult. Thriving relationships need. And then gentleness. <clears throat> I say gentleness is, is power with reserve. Gentleness is such an overlooked uh, through the Spirit, but it's, it's power with reserve. It's someone who it's a gentle strength. Someone possesses Jesus most definitely displayed this in his mind. and in our relationship. statement or a judgmental statement, and the response felt so gentle that everyone, even his opponent is debating, got it and said, okay. And it was funny and it was relaxed and it was, it could have been handled so much more to, to stir up a conflict, especially for the presidency. This is uh, President Ronald Reagan in 1984, second term, and then people were saying, you're getting pretty old, we're noticing it, and here's what the commentator asked. You, you already revealed this president and some of your staff saying retired after the most recent encounter with Mr. Pondale. Uh, um, I recall yet that President Kennedy had to go for days on end with very little sleep during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Is there any doubt in your mind that you would be able to function in such circumstances? Not at all, Mr. Truman. And I, mean, I want you to know that also I will not make age an issue with this campaign. I am not going to exploit it. For political purposes, my opponent's youth and inexperience. <laughs> okay, you can stop What I loved about him was um, even his opponent. you to deal with any kind of, I would say, unhealth or dysfunction or things that spread us apart in relationships Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for that passage in Galatians. God, we thank you that that, uh, the Spirit is at work in each one of us, God, renewing and changing and growing, God, that you never stop speaking to us, God. As much as we want to silence you, sometimes you are at work in us. God, help us be quick to hear and slow to speak when it comes to your Spirit as well. He doesn't.